What is up, Foley fam? The Pod Warriors are back on the attack. Me and my best friend, Jordan Wells, aka the Fig God, here to bring you guys some more audio gold. Y'all know the deal with the Pod Warriors. We're bringing you guys evergreen content. Just search Pod Warriors on the Chick Foley Show feed. We're picking one topic and going deep on it. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into this episode's topic of conversation, let me ask my main man, Jordan, how is life out in Nebraska? Man, things are good. It's uh, It's been a, a rough couple of weeks for life and work, so it sucks. But I always look forward to doing these, and we're not going to bring you guys down with that shit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just ready to record another episode of Pod Warriors. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. You guys heard me just pop the top just now. This is my first beer I've drank since Sunday, so I'm ready to uh, to get loose and talk some wrestling. You know, the Pod Warriors is always a little bit lighter on the production. We're going to get the housekeeping out of the way. Only thing I want to let you guys know this episode is make sure to use code Chick Foley to save 10% at Ringside Collectibles on all your figure purchases. And make sure to check out the Pod Foundation. Follow our friends at Turnbuckle Tavern, The Extra Cooler Show, and Coming Down the Aisle. All right, so Jordan, tell them what we're going to be talking about this week. Yeah, so... Um I had this idea a couple months ago to do um, our favorite B-show pay-per-views. So basically, the only things that we excluded from this were obviously the big four in WWE and then just Starcade. Um, we weren't going to do like New Japan or anything like that. So uh, yeah, we just we excluded those five. And then uh, me and Seth both picked our five favorites. And uh, we're going to go through them with you guys. So hopefully this uh, brings back the nostalgia for you guys. Yeah, it definitely did for me, man. We had some fun putting together the list. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing, like George said, we're doing four piece and then we each had one that was, you know, on each of our lists. But these B shows tend to be a lot of fun, man. I think the thing that makes a great B show is usually uh, you're hitting it with some lower expectations, right? Like you're, it, it's kind of just going to be a whatever night and then it ends up just surpassing whatever you possibly could have expected from the show. Yeah. And it's funny that we mark them as B-shows because, dude, back in the day, like WWE and WCW, there really wasn't technically a B-show. Like, dude, they put all the v- production value into it. There was a different set for every pay-per-view. Like, I mean, we're, we're calling them B-shows because now they are definitely B-shows. They're definitely presented a lot different. But, dude, back in the day, I mean, these shows were important. Every month had an important show. And some of these ones we're going to go through are like – you realize the importance of these shows in the history of wrestling. So, yeah, once you got out of like the in your house era, once they kind of did away with the in your house branding, um, it was especially in the attitude era, it was really hard to tell the difference between the B shows and the big shows. Um, they just, some of those B shows, the cards were just stacked, man, especially like post WrestleMania 18 when you had all the WCW guys in there also. Like, if you go back and just like on paper, look at some of these matches we were getting, it was insane. Yeah, it's uh, it really is crazy, and and there's there's one in particular we're going to talk about tonight. I mean, it really was a WrestleMania main event at the next show, so it, it's crazy looking back on it. All right, so the format we're going to each take turns picking up some of our favorite B shows, talk about what made it special for us, highlighting some of the key matches, and also you know we're always going to bring back some figure talk. We'll talk about some of the key um you know, the key figure looks and everything, and maybe some figures that we're, we're missing from these shows that we've never quite gotten, man. So, uh, I'll ask you guys to pull up if, if, you know, if you're chilling at home or whatever, listening, uh, pull up wrestling figure database. That's going to be an easy way to kind of get a quick peek at some of these figures that we're discussing as we go through. Um, you ready to get into it, Jordan? Yeah, let's go. 
All right. So first one, we're going all the way back. One of my favorite ever NWA slash WCW shows, The Great American Bash, 1989. This was a show July 23rd, 1989 in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, just a really, really fun wrestling show. I, I got a soft spot, man, for late eighties, early nineties, WCW. That's what I remember watching with my great grandpa, my papa Clyde. We'd sit down in the basement at uh, my granny's house and watch WCW Saturday night. And we'd go and rent all these tapes, um, and just watch these matches. And I think this is kind of like the best of the best, uh, when it comes to that, it's kind of like that, that. I don't, I don't know if like B grade is like the right way to say, but the production was just not as glossy as WWF's was even in the, in the eighties and nineties. It always, the arenas always look kind of smoky. Um, but it just had a, a total vibe to it. And I think this show is the one that epitomizes it's really good matches from top to bottom. The two, there's three that really stick out to me. Uh, you get a really, really good sting versus great Muda match. It's, a, it's less than 10 minutes. I want to say it's about eight minutes long. But the dudes are just going nonstop. Like, you know, if you ever watch any peak Muda, the thing that stood out to him, he's got a a deal kind of like Kenny Omega. He's just so fast, man. Like, I think that's the thing that makes Kenny Omega special now. When he sprints in the ring, like, he looks like he's just faster than all the other wrestlers. And Muda had the same thing, man. Muda was almost kind of ahead of his time, and he really sticks out. When you go back and watch him on a show in the 80s, and Sting was Sting. He was always great. You get a Road Warriors match with the Road Warriors, Midnight Express, and uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams against the Freebirds and the Samoan SWAT team, Samu and Fatu. So Bloodline making it happen in war games all the way back then. And Paulie Dangerously was in the mix also. So, you know, when he says those Samoan ties run deep, he is not lying. And then last, the main event, uh, Ric Flair and Terry Funk and just a classic. It was about a 16, 17-minute match for the NWA World Championship. It was set up at the uh, at the previous pay-per-view, which I believe was a Wrestle War. I can't remember. Some of those pay-per-view names get kind of blurry to me. But uh, yeah, Terry Funk attacked Ric Flair, and they just had a classic match on, on the big stage. So yeah, I love this one. And I, I believe this was one of your nominees also, right, Jordan? And I kind of selfishly took it for myself. Yeah, th- this was one of my nominees. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, just like you said, really good show top to bottom. You're exactly right, dude. The production value on these shows is just garbage. Like, it, <laughs> it just seems like they're thrown together at the last minute. But again, man, they they created magic on some of these shows, and this is definitely one of them. Like you said, that uh, that War Games match is a banger. Like, I, I love that match. It was peak Ric Flair, too, dude. Like, as much as Flair seems like such a natural heel and you want to hate him when he's working baby face. He was a really, really good baby face. I think of this match against um, Terry Funk and the match against Vader at, uh, at Starcade 1993, the two that really stick out. So you got a baby face Ric Flair performance here. Um, and yeah, man, just, just an awesome, awesome show. So definitely check this one out. If you're in the mood for some, some eighties WCW, uh, getting into the, some, some figures, man. So we had four entries for, um, you know, figures that, uh, you know, we're, we're going deep on this. It's not just wrestlers that haven't been on the card. They got to be wearing the same or close to the same gear, uh, that they were on the show. And first up, we got Galoob Lex Luger. I mean, the Galoob line was just solid. Uh, this figure is is no uh, no slouch at all. I, I like this figure a lot. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's cool that they did the Galoob's period. But, yeah, this figure itself is really cool. Yeah, shamefully, I don't know a ton about, like, you know, who was behind the Galoob line, who was making them. Because, dude, 
they those sculpts still hold up, man. Like when I hear Lex Luger figure, like should, when I hear the name Lex Luger, I think the first thing I think of is Galoob figure with the blue tights and the white boots. But all of them, man, like really stand out. Like I'm looking at my shelf right now, and I got the Steiner brothers, and I don't think I've ever seen a better set of head sculpts on for Steiners, man. Like these figures were like, I mean, they didn't have any articulation, so they really kind of were just little sculptures. Yeah, there's a. They're they're definitely not very breakable either. Like dude, you're gonna have to really whack someone with one of these to break them. So yeah, they're really cool. I, I love these figures. the The whole line was cool. It's kind of wild to look back at how many like unreleased Galoobs there were. I know. Like like I'm on Wrestling Figure Database right now and seeing that Luger with like the jacket and the chains over it and stuff. Just wild. Yeah, there's some weird ones out there, too. There's some that, like, I think whoever was working this line was an actual wrestling fan because there's, like, a Ric Flair with lightning bolts on his trunks. And yep. I don't think I remember seeing that one in real life. But, but yeah, the Galoobs were great. They make really, really good, um, really, really good weapons also if you're fighting with the younger sibling back in the day because <laughs> they were rock solid and they had a little bit of weight to them. So you could really sling those things. Yeah, that's definitely – you definitely didn't want to take a Galoob to the forehead. All right, up next, the Legends Road Warriors. So these were the Mattel Legends line. There's been a few sets of uh, of you know all black Road Warriors with the black shoulder pads, but the best ones were definitely the Legends. Uh, this is a set of figures that got some serious significance in me and Jordan's friendship. Yeah, so uh, me and Seth have actually traded these figures back and forth twice. Um, so when Seth was doing his great sell-off of his action figures, this was ones he was going to sell, and I was like, dude, you cannot sell those to anybody but me because I never had those figures. And I mean, obviously, everybody listening to this knows the price of those figures is insane. So Seth sold them to me, and about two months ago, he texted me and says, hey, dude, will you sell those figures back to me? I'm like... <laughs> so send, them, send them back home, man. <laughs> send them back home. Why not? Yeah, dude. I uh, My... my- purge of my wrestling collection that lasted all about three days yeah that's, it's, it's really kind of mind-blowing to think that in that three days i managed to get rid of chief j strongbow elite and the legends road warriors what the fuck was i thinking i don't know because after you got i don't remember which figure you had gotten rid of and i was like dude what the fuck are you doing for real like you love these things you took all the time to collect them and then now you're just gonna get rid of half of them i don't get what you're doing and then you were like oh yeah you're right i'm a fucking idiot that was like a there's day. no telling where it would have stopped that if I hadn't had that conversation with Jordan. Now, in my defense, I was going through a ton of stress, man. I was in the middle of moving with my family, didn't know where we were going to live at. I was up for a big promotion at work. Like, I had life was coming at me fast at that time. And I don't know, maybe subconsciously, I was just trying to like shed some some stress or and I don't stress in the right word because I don't get it's not stressful managing the wrestling collection, but like it takes up a lot of mental bandwidth. You know what I mean? Well, not only that, dude, you guys were. I mean, you guys were downsizing a lot too. Like Sheena sold yeah. a lot of her stuff. You started selling off some of your stuff. Like you guys were trying to live the minimalist life. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to sell off half of your figures though. Like, dude, what are we doing here? You spend all this time and they bring you so much joy and you're just going to get rid of them. And then you were like, yeah, you're right. This is stupid, but it was already too late. It already sold off the chief and the legend, <laughs> the legends road warriors to me. So the damage uh. already been done. Yeah, classic, classic moment, man, for sure. Yeah, we were planning on downsizing to like a much smaller place. But unfortunately, with what real estate was doing last spring, like there was nothing, dude. It was basically like, you know, the only stuff that would have been like worth it to downsize, it would have been a straight up shit box, man. Um, so we ended up getting a place basically the same size what we had in Virginia. But 
Yeah, on to the next man. This the recently released Samoan SWAT team, dude. Samu and Fatu. Now you, these need to be the chase variants from uh, Legend Series eighteen, but these figures are gorgeous. Yeah, dude, these are uh, absolutely beautiful figures. Um, the leg paint and everything is awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. Everybody's already seen these because they're brand new, but yeah, absolutely awesome. Really glad we got them. Yeah, I like them better than the Head Trickers version. How about you? Oh yeah, dude the the Samoan SWAT team is way better. I, I love yeah. those figures. Yeah, I, I have more memories of the head shrinkers as wrestlers, but yeah, figures wise, I like Samoan SWAT team a lot better. I, I think the way I'm gonna kind of manage them in my collection, I'm gonna display the head shrinkers with all the garb, like the big fucking bow staffs and that like the demolition style chest gear and the skirts. And I think I'm gonna go Samoan SWAT team was just just straight up tights. Cause I don't remember them making entrances with a whole bunch of gear on back in WCW. No. And there wasn't, it's just, I mean, this is kind of the laziness from Mattel. They just like throw the same things in the package and call it good. Yeah. Those chases are strictly paint swaps. All right. So Ric Flair was in his purple gear with the white boots. The most, there's been a few different versions. He had his pink robe. So we got that robe with his ultimate edition. Um, but Honestly, the as, as much as we think of Ric Flair in the, the purple gear, the only one that was actually like picture perfect to a T was his OSFTM figure, the big LJN style one. There's been other ones that were like purple with like light purple boots. This was the only one that's purple with the white boots was that OSFTM Ric Flair. Dude, that's insane. Like just to think that that figure is that old and that's the only one we've got with that look. It's crazy, man. Like. Dude, Ric Flair is just such an easy figure for Mattel to make, too. All they have to do is paint swap on all of them. Like, I just, I don't get it. Paint swap, give us the robes. Yeah, so, like, his ultimate edition, you know, it's in purple trunks, but he's got the pinkish boots, man. So, yeah, this was, he was rocking the purple purple trunks with the white boots on this one. So, you guys know, man, as soon as Flair gets back in the fold, I'm praying that they crank out that Royal Rumble 92 ultimate edition. I've been fantasy booking for about a year now. Like, entrance robe, give us the crazy head for the post show. Like, I think that would be solid gold. You're never going to come off that, are you? I want it, dude. I told you that needs to be the next crowdfund. A thousand bucks, all thirty members of the uh, of the 1992 World Rumble, dude. They could even make it a payment plan, dude. Do it over thirty months. Make this a two and a half year project. Every month we get them, and they come out in the order that they made their entrance at the Rumble, dude. Now you're really counting on Mattel to do things right. You are on <laughs> drugs. Tell me you wouldn't be pumped to know that you're on a payment. You're on a subscription plan that's going to last for 30 months and you're going to get every member of the, the 92 Royal Rumble once a month. You know something would go wrong in there, though. There's no way that would work. That's a lot of wrestlers to count on not saying some dumb shit and getting canceled for two and a half years. Yeah, not just that. that that's a lot of pressure on Mattel to make sure they're they're releasing a figure every month. <laughs> so we'll put a bow on the great american bash 1989 man the uh there's a lot of fun shows in this period really anything from 88 through 92 there's some fun to be had some of those wcw nwa shows they're like they're so bad that they're good but they're never just boring so um definitely give that a, you know that whole era is a fun watch but if you only got you know three hours to sit down and watch some wrestling great american bash 1989 is a good pick um jordan you ready to drop your first show i am so I went with uh, Super Bowl Brawl 3, easy for you to say. Uh, there's just a, a lot of nostalgia in this one for me. The The Vader-Sting strap match is what really elevates this show. Um, it's it's honestly one of the best strap matches, I think, ever. Maybe the best ever one. The best, bro. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on this. Um, this was the this event marked the return of Ric Flair to WCW, and it was also Davy Boy's uh, WCW debut. This was also the first show after the Bill Watts fiasco and Eric Bischoff's first WCW pay per view as executive producer. So, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, so this is a this is a meaningful pay per view um, all the way around. Also, this uh, is a WCW pay-per-view where the NWA World Heavyweight Championship was defended. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of important stuff on this show. I'm not saying this is like five-star classic or anything, but it, it's fun. It's a fun show to watch. Um, Two Cold Scorpio and uh, Chris, who he shall not be named, Benoit, uh, have a banger. That's a hidden gem, bro. Dude, that that's a fun match. so dude. good. I, I, I don't even think Benoit was properly signed at the time. I think he was kind of just like a glorified jobber that they kind of just had hanging around for a few shows. Yeah, you have to block it out of your memory who he is and just enjoy the match because the match is fantastic. Um, Cactus and Paul Orndor- or- Orndorff had a really good match. Jeez. Dude, I must be drunk already after one beer. <laughs> You're getting tongue-tied. Good lord. Yeah, that was a fun. They had a fun little feud, man. I feel like that. I feel like that feud played out like like most things in WCW back in that day, almost exclusively on WCW Saturday Night. So, yeah, that that was a, a fun little you know WCW's version of like extreme wrestling at that time. Yeah, and then like I said, the NWA World Title was on the line, and Barry Windham actually defeated the Great Muda to win the title on this show. Um, I mean, that match was pretty long, if I remember right. But, uh, yeah, this is just a fun show to me. I I enjoy this. I mean, a lot of, like Seth said, a lot of stuff from 89 to 92. Unfortunately, this is 93. But this is the start of a big era for WCW. Eric Bischoff's in charge at this point. And, uh, dude, we I mean, the sky was the limit for um, WCW. So, yeah, I I enjoy this pay-per-view a lot. I mean. I know some might disagree, but I, just the main event, dude, just Va- Vader and Sting in a strap match is just phenomenal. Dude, I had straight up Mandela effect on this show, man. When I was doing my research on it, kind of dawned on me. I remember the Barry Windham and Great Muda match being really good, but I could have fucking swore that Sting and Vader was for the championship, dude. Nope, it was not. It like, was, I, I mean, if I had a million bucks on the line, if you asked me that a week ago, I would have said, oh, yeah, it was for the WCW championship. No, it was like the they call it white castle of fear strap match or whatever it was yeah no nope. name for a match also dude nope the the united states title was the only other title on the line if i remember right on the show yeah with the natural dustin yep. Rhodes against max Payne. what's your favorite max yeah. Payne match the the double main event on this one man is just a ton of fun barry windham and great muda is like like if I would, if I want to show somebody like this is what like pure pro wrestling looks like, check out this match. He's got Muda, who's got the speed and high flyer, and Barry Windham is a guy who I don't really think gets his due for just how smooth of a worker he was in the ring. Like that dude was just a really, really good wrestler, man. Kind of like I feel like I, I'd compare him to like uh, Hangman Adam Page. He's a little bit, a little bit bigger than him, but worked that same style, man. Like mixed up like power stuff with some really, not necessarily high flying, but just some really, really like smooth looking technical wrestling, like. Yeah, Wyndham could go, man. I still think it's a shame that they couldn't find anything better for him to do in WWF than be the stalker when he came over there in the uh, the new gen era. Dude, and he was only like 33 at this time, too. So he was still in the prime of his career at this point. And I know a lot of people don't see Barry Wyndham as like a really good wrestler or anything. And I get it. Um, but like, do yourself a favor and go back and watch this match. It is really good. And yeah. Muda being the NWA championship is just wild to say. 
Um, but yeah, it was this show's really good. I definitely encourage everyone to go back and watch it. Yeah, Wyndham can definitely go, man. Definitely somebody to check out his stuff back in the NWA WCW days. And then, yeah, that main event, man, Vader and Sting. I don't. I think it's unquestionably the best strap match ever. Just a brutal match, dude. They were really building Vader as just one of the best monster heel like pushes we'd seen up to that point. And he beat the hell out of Sting. You know, Sting's a great baby face, getting all the sympathy, and it's just a brutal brutal match the, the strap match there's been a lot of good strap matches or you know dog collar matches i kind of consider those one and the same uh been a lot of good ones over the years but this is the one that still holds up that like if i'm only keeping one of these gimmick matches that's the one i'm keeping yeah yeah it's a uh, really good man they definitely lay the shots to each other so do yourself a favor go back and watch it because dude sting at this time too is like he's just on another level at this point in his life so yeah, we've talked about it before, man, about how like as iconic as the Crow Sting was, there's really not any great matches to point to, man, that from when he was Crow Sting. There's a few decent ones out there, but Surfer Sting was putting on banger after banger every single night, man. Was definitely the shining star in WCW throughout the 90s. That's why he was the franchise, man. Yeah, I mean, he's on every show in the last hour. Like, he's always either the co-main event or the main event, and... Yeah, that's why, dude. He was unreal as Surfer Sting. All right, so Mattel has showed a little bit of love to this event. We got four figures uh, from this one. So Elite 81, Stone Cold Steve Austin. This was the Hollywood Blondes Austin. Yeah, this is a definitely a good figure. And honestly, this is a figure I never thought we would get, if I'm being 100% honest. Yeah, pretty easy to make a uh, a custom Brian Pillman to go along with him. Unfortunately, the the loose cannon's not under contract with Mattel, but you can get the parts if you go back and grab that Elite Forty Seven Pillman. It's pretty easy to do a uh, a little bit of part swap ski to get yourself a uh, uh, the matching Hollywood Blonde set. Elite Thirty Nine British Bulldog. This was the uh, you know Bulldog with the dreads. Uh, you know the braided Bulldog. From the early 90s, uh, he had a, there was another braided bulldog figure in Elite 94. Both of them worked pretty good, but as far as the event specific attire goes, the one from way back in Elite 39 was a little bit closer. Um, still a very cool figure, man. I'm hoping we get a uh, an updated like the the bulldog like between this era and between heel bulldog where he just had the long hair and he was rocking like the the booty shorts like the the allied powers era bulldog you remember yeah yeah that that's another great figure dude they can make all the bulldog figures they want people are still gonna buy him that's just one thing about him i'm actually surprised we haven't got an ultimate bulldog yet to be completely honest with you yeah, he had that cool thing kind of like Brett did where the gear was always pretty similar, but he was changing up just a little bit, right? Like different patterns. Sometimes he'd have the gold tassels on there. Like, yeah, I'm down for more Bulldogs, man. I think he's another guy who is, I don't, I wouldn't, he's definitely not underrated, but I still don't feel like he's quite gotten all the credit that he's due um, just for what a great worker he was back in the day. Uh, Legend Series 4, Paul Orndorff ended up with a blue robe and the blue gear. That's basically exactly what he was wearing in this show. And then Legends 3 Vader. So this was the all-black Vader with the white cape they gave us back at the start of the Legends line. Really, really cool figure and uh, just a really cool look for Vader. Dude, these early Legends lines were killer. They just they knocked them out of the park. Way ahead of their time on how good these were, honestly. Like, we, we have already talked about the Road Warriors and stuff, dude. All these figures were just killer figures. 
dude, the Akeem, Rick Martel, that Rick Rude, the Macho Man they put out in that line. Like, yeah, dude, I think you could put that. Uh, the The Legends revival has been pretty cool. Like, there's been some hits and misses, but that first uh, six series Legends line from Mattel, like, that's definitely in the mix for best figure lines of all time. Dude, the Bulldog in that line is great. The uh, Hillbilly Jim is great in that line, dude. Hillman. Yeah, they they destroyed this line. It, it was so good at the beginning. I still think it's good now, but I think the start of it was better just because they were releasing way more rare figures to me. Yeah, definitely. It seems like WWE's cut down on the amount of legends they're kind of keeping, you know, on on the payroll here over the last last four or five years. I mean, if you look at it, dude, uh, Fatu and Samu are probably the rarest figures that we've got out of the the new line. I mean, the the Mark Calloway taker is, I mean, just the Mark Calloway is pretty. Uh, pretty rare but yeah getting samu and fat too i thought was like one of the things that made this line kind of cool again you know oh yeah samu was one of the uh the hasbro five dude a guy that only had a figure in the hasbro line up until this so yeah that was his second figure ever man so yeah that, kudos to mattel for getting that cranked out uh one thing i thought of man now that harley race is back in the fold how sweet would it be to get a manager version of harley race to go along with oh, vader yeah dude they got a I hope they they take this Legends line the way it should be and give us more like people we don't have rather than just yeah. new figures of people we already have. Yeah, first time in the line. Even if you got to dig deep, dude, like we're the the Legends like um, tagline is very, very, uh, you know, it, we're, we're not holding you guys feet to the fire on this, dude. Pretty much if they wrestled in the past, we're cool with them being in the Legends line. Yeah, it's a loose Legends term. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and hit the beverage break before we hit to each of our second show. All right, that may or may not be some foreshadowing for an event we're going to talk about later on in the uh, in the in the episode. Uh, Jordan, what are you sipping on this week? So currently, I'm drinking a Broken School Double IPA. Um, but I got a, a table full of bush lights to pound after this. Cause I was not doing like two or three of these. Cause I wouldn't make it to the end of the show. <laughs> I promise we didn't plan this, man. I'm actually drinking a broken skull American lager. And then I got the, a cooler full of Merrill lights, dude, that I'm going to, uh, going to wash it down with, man. So yeah, kicking it off with some broken skull and then going to the, the daily driver. Yeah, man, that's a great way to go, especially when, you know, we're going to do a longer show because, yeah, man, you pound down two or three IPAs and the end of this gets a little wonky. <laughs> Listener mail goes off the rails. You start slurring every other word like, yeah, you've been there before. Can't dude, even read sure. the question. <laughs> All right, let's talk. Let's talk about July 1997, July 6th to be precise. In your house, Canadian Stampede. I think this was the best of the In Your House branded pay per views, and it's one of my favorites of all time. It's a really unique event. So this was back in the true, um, you know, In Your House B Show days. This was a two hour pay per view. So when they originally rolled out the In Your Houses starting after WrestleMania 11, they they had wanted them to be cheaper pay per views, right? They were going to be uh, only two hours long. I think seventeen ninety five was the initial cost on those. Um, and then they ended up going up to maybe like 20 bucks um, before they finally expand them to three hours. But yeah, it was going to be a cheaper pay-per-view to hold you over between the King of the Ring, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, and Mania. And I think this was the absolute best concept um, out of all of them that they did. So it kicks off 
with uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley against Mankind, goes to double count out. And they did the really cool thing that we've seen them bring back from time to time where, you know, the guys kind of brawl to the back and then you see them still brawling throughout the night. Yeah. Yeah, it was a... This show is really cool for it just being a four-match show. And, yeah, I mean, they did a lot with four matches. I'll say that. And how crazy is that? Kicking off uh, in your house with Triple H and Mankind, dude. What a f- Yeah, they they were jerking the curtain, man. It's pretty pretty wild thing about where these guys would be at just, you know, less than two years later on the card. Um, then you had the great Sasuke against Takamichi Noku for the light heavyweight championship. Just not a whole lot of story behind it. I think this was the great Sasuke's debut um, and it was just a fun, fast-paced, high-flyer match. Then we, he was on the last show, too, man, bringing it back. Undertaker defends the title against Vader in just a badass Haas fight, man. It's 12 minutes long, hard-hitting. I think Vader got his mouth busted open, and uh, Undertaker ends up getting the dub. And then finally, we have uh, what I think is the best 10-man tag match ever. So you got the Hart Foundation uh, going up against Ken Shamrock, Gold Dust the Legion of Doom and a guy by the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, the match is just electric. So to kind of set the scene uh, for those that may not have watched 97 WWF, which if you haven't, do yourself a favor, go check it out. But the Hart Foundation were basically they were the biggest baby faces in Canada while being the biggest heels in the United States. And it was a really cool dynamic. And the Canadian Stampede uh, pay-per-view was held during this event called the Calgary Stampede, which is basically like the city of Calgary's big annual like carnival, festival, what have you. You know, I know a lot of us from here in the States have, you know, our towns have different events like this. So you already got a ton of civic pride, a ton of national pride going. And then you got these guys all repping Canada coming out. And dude, if you watch the entrance for the Heart Foundation, like the pops just keep getting bigger and bigger until the time Brett comes out and the place just erupts, man. And and then all 10 guys just brought it in the ring. Just a, a hell of a match. Yeah, this... uh I actually did coming down the aisle with uh, John Swallow, and this was the match that we watched. I I think it was like a year ago when we did this. And just watching this match back, it's just unreal that they had those 10 guys in the ring at the same time. Like, I mean, usually you think Undertaker and Vader, there is no way anything can main event over that. And then they roll this out with just, I don't know, just 10 10 top-of-the-line guys like, Pretty crazy to think that th- this was your main event at a in your house show. Yeah, and it honestly, dude, it's really kind of a super historically significant match, even aside from just how big of a moment it felt like with the hearts winning in front of their home crowd and filling the 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 ring with their family. Cause, you know, prior to this, the feud was Brett and Steve Austin, and they used this match to kind of pivot and have Owen and Steve Austin start feuding. And this is the match that would lead to their match at SummerSlam where Steve Austin got his neck broke on that unfortunate tombstone pile driver from Owen. So and that's kind of one of the most significant injuries in wrestling history, man. I think that injury really turned the tide. See, like you can kind of go back and forth. And in some ways it kind of made the Steve Austin character. And then in some ways it definitely shortened his career, you know. Um, but yeah, just crazy match and, and a really, really fun event. Yeah, yeah, this was definitely a good choice. Um, I had this on my short list, and me and Seth kind of agreed that we wouldn't have any that we had together, but there was only one that I was like, no, we got to have one that's the same. So, yeah, Yeah. this is a great choice. 
a little bonus uh, homework assignment to, to quote the guys from the Extra Cooler Show. If you guys want to go watch the documentary Wrestling with Shadows, a big portion of that documentary centers around this pay-per-view and shows you some of the behind the scenes of them putting this match together. So pretty fun. Uh, you ready to get into the figures from this one, Jordan? This is a long one. That's cheesy. It's a long one. So yeah, we're into the, uh, the attitude era where, you know, Jax was just cranking out the figures at the time. And this is an era that's gotten a lot of love from, from Mattel. So, uh, we'll kind of quickly run through them, man. If it's ones that I feel like we need to discuss, we'll discuss. So the, there was, you know, China was on the show with triple H, the China that came out in that elite two pack ringside exclusive with, uh, triple H is, is very, very close to this one. So, um, you know, good enough for government work. The Amazon exclusive Mankind, that's still to this day the only elite Mankind we've gotten that had his OG boots. You know, the boots that have like the the brown leather straps and studs on them before he switches to the black wrestling boots. Isn't this an elite in like a, a basic pack? In a package? basic pack. Yeah, that's what I yes, thought. Dude. dude, this figure is great. Yeah, I think it's probably he's had some cool Cactus Jack figures, man. It's but I think this is probably the best Mick Foley figure that Mattel's done. Uh, funny story, man. So I had just switched over from Jack's Classic Superstars to collecting Mattel figures. Jordan knows for you know about a year and change after I got back into wrestling, I really was not digging the Mattel line. Just something about the figures, like. I don't know. I think I was just I was so used to the look of like Jack's figures and stuff that that's what I liked. Uh, and I know it's it's just horrible to think back about that now. But Jordan had finally he had bought me a Razor Ramon defining moments and I got a Bray Wyatt elite. And that was pretty much all it took for me to switch over. But I was at a toy show in Hawaii about two weeks after I'd switched over to collect a Mattel figure. So I wasn't as smart on the line as you know, I would come to be. And I remember I saw this mankind figure and I was like, Oh, that's really cool. But it was in the basic packaging. And the guy was trying to sell it to me. He was like, no, it's an elite. And I was just like, no, it's not, dude, this is a basic. I know what I'm looking at here, you know? (laughs) And uh, it wasn't until like two months later that I was kind of looking into it and realized, Oh shit, that really wasn't elite and basic packaging. Really bizarre, man. Like, do you, at the time, do you remember why they did that, Jordan? No, and quite honestly, I I thought it was like a misprint that it was an elite because I didn't even buy this figure when they released it. I just thought it was a misprint because I saw the packaging. I'm like, there's no way that's an elite. Like, they, it just had to be a misprint. So I never even bought it because of that fact. Like, I just no, I I don't know the reasoning at all behind why it was in basic packaging. Yeah, it must have be. It must have been something they were doing at the time, or at least experimenting with with the store exclusives. Because that that Vince McMahon in the suit, um, the Toys R Us mailaway figure, it's the same way. It came in a basic package yep. also, but it's an elite. So I don't know, kind of weird. All right, Takamichi Noku, his best figure was the Jack Slammer. Uh, the Slammers, I, I still consider them like in the bone crunching line, but they were like a hybrid of Jack's bone crunchers and like Hasbro figures. They would all have like some little feature with a move they would do. Pretty nice looking figure. You remember this one, Jordan? Yeah, it, it's a good figure minus the head scan or head sculpt, whatever you want to call it. The head sculpt looks like just like a basic person <laughs> from the video game Tekken. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the recent Royal Rumble Vader is uh, probably the best representation of Vader from this event. The Ultimate Edition Undertaker, if you just ditch the entrance gear, Undertaker was just, he, he wasn't putting on the full robe and hat and everything for an in your house. He just walked out in the ring gear ready to fucking roll. Ultimate Edition Austin with the one um, the one knee pad. Now, Gold Dust, man, this was a tricky one, dude. I thought we would have had a better, uh, more accurate Gold Dust in this by now, but Elite Series 6 Gold Dust is actually the closest one. 
there's not an exact one. You know, Goldust was always doing funky stuff with his paint, but this is the only elite Goldust we've had that has got like the big poofy, like really ornamental robe. Yeah, th- this figure is great. I actually did go back and get this one just because of the robe. Um, cause I mean, the actual figure itself, it's pretty similar to to the other ones they've released. I mean, once you have one gold dust, you, you have them all, right? But yeah. but the robe itself is the unique thing about this one. Yeah, as far as gold dust goes, I think you need that debut gold dust they did in Elite 47, where it was the much more just like the plain, you know, gold paint with the gold suit. And then I think you need one with like all the black detailing and stuff. But I'm the same with you, man. As far as like the more crazy face paint goes, I can't tell the difference between one to another. No. Uh, Elite Legion of Doom, um, you know, enough said. Those figures are great. The Elite 52, Ken Shamrock with the red gear and the red robe. Bret Hart's defining moments in the all black gear, the legends bulldog we talked about earlier, the legends pillman we talked about earlier, and then the elite 74 Jim Neidhart's not an exact match, but it's, it's pretty dang close. So you could damn near put together this, uh, this whole show. I forgot to mention the network spotlight triple H also. He's, yeah. uh, he's when you get have. So yeah, you, you damn near put together this. If we could just get that goddamn great Sasuke, man, we'd have just about this whole show put together in a uh, figure form and then, you know, it's already a custom custom Owen Hart from Ivy's custom figgies or something. Yeah. This one's great. All right, Jordan, you're up, dude. <laughs> All right. So, um, this one was one I was not leaving out. I remember watching this show live. We're going to go back to August 2nd of 1998 in Dayton, Ohio for ECW heat wave. This was the first edition of uh, Heat Wave for ECW, and it also featured talent from Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling due to a partnership between them and ECW. Um, this, to me, still to this day, is the the mountaintop of ECW shows. Um, it, it, it is literally just the straight-up hardcore wrestling matches that you grew to love in ECW, or you hated. I mean, it, it was really either way, but... This whole show to me is just fantastic, highlighted by um, Masato Tanaka versus uh, Mike Awesome in just an anger. 12 minutes of nothing but beating the living shit out of each other. Like these two guys, for some reason, when they got in the ring, it was like it backstage. They're like, all right, man, who's going to almost die in the ring tonight? Which one of us wants to almost die? And they're like, well, let's just flip a coin. It was like, they both called heads and they're like, well, I guess we're both dying in the match. So they, they just always put it down. Um, RVD and Sabu wrestled Hayabusa and Shinzaki. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, tell everybody who, uh, Shinzaki is probably better known as, uh, that is, uh, Hayabusa. No, Hakushi. Oh, Hakushi, Hakushi. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So Hakushi and Hayabusa wrestled, RVD and Sabu with Bill Alfonso in their corner 20 minute. Just it's kind of a clusterfuck a little bit. Cause I think they're trying to do way too many moves. This is like the, the spot fest of 1998. Like that was kind of the deal with Sabu <laughs> also, man, that was part of the fun. You know, you're going to get like, it's going to be like a 70% hit rate on all the shit he's going to try. Well, yeah, dude, he, he's going to try every single thing that he put in his bag that night. So it, I mean, there's no telling what you're going to get out of it. Um, Taz and Bam Bam Bigelow for the FTW championship when that title actually meant something. And then the main event was Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, and Spike Dudley versus the Dudleys, Bubba, Devon, and Big Dick Dudley with Joel Gertner and Sign Guy Dudley. Absolutely. Just classic ECW, man. Dude, it, I, I just think like this pay-per-view, like 
if I know a lot of people were not watching wrestling at, at this time, they just or they weren't watching ECW. I strongly, granted, it's going to be pretty muted on the network, but this show is just fantastic. Like, like I said, this to me is the best ECW show ever, and it's probably not even that close for me. It's just. It's everything I loved about ECW, man. It was just you never knew what you were going to see on these shows, and this one was uh was no different. And so, I mean, do you remember watching this? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Ninety seven and ninety eight ECW. That's like injected into my veins on the nostalgia, man. Um, one one match, dude. I I think he kind of sold short, dude. So you know, we had the classic ECW matches with the RBD and Sabu tag Taz and Bam Bam in that main event. Tanaka and Mike Awesome had the strong style. Dude, Chris Candido and Lance Storm had a technical freaking masterpiece, man. And that was a great thing about ECW, dude. Everybody remembers like the flaming tables and the blood, but they gave you a little bit of everything, dude. ECW is who really kind of brought Chris Jericho to the mainstream. Rey Mysterio, they made Lucha Libre really kind of blow up. And uh, honestly, like they kind of brought strong style to the States freaking, you know, almost 20 years before WWE tried to start doing it, man. So... Yeah, ECW was just awesome, dude. I remember, uh, you know, it, it's super nostalgic for me because, so our, my friend RC, this is in seventh and eighth grade. He was like my wrestling friend. We were both really hardcore wrestling fans. And my uncle Josh, they would get all the ECW pay-per-views. So we lived in this small town called Ingleside, Texas. I can't remember the specific cable provider we had, but, you know, ECW wasn't on every pay-per-view provider, right? Like some carried it, some didn't. And it didn't. they didn't, our cable provider didn't carry it. And uh, I remember my uncle Josh, he up in Kentucky, he would he would he got all of them and he would tape them and mail me the VHS. So I know we're really aging ourselves on this, dude. Mm -hmm. But I remember the excitement of getting these these VHS in the mail. Like WrestlePalooza 97 was the first one. I just remember getting these and I would wait until either like I'd go stay the night at RC's or he'd come stay the night at mine. And we would watch these tapes just be mind blown, dude. Like there wouldn't be much talking. We're just watching it just in awe of what we're seeing because it was so different from what WWF and WCW were presenting at the time. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really give you a lot of production value. Like, dude, they were just going out there for the wrestling and, and the hardcore style. And it's funny. You did say Candido and Lance Storm, dude, we're selling the opening match short. It was just incredible versus Jerry Lynn. Like, yeah, I mean, dude, the, like seriously, if you get on this card, every match is fun to watch. Like everything on this is great to watch. I mean, yeah, some of them are a bit sloppy, but, Dude, this show just puts it down, man. It, this is definitely like a a happy spot for me. I mean, I was 13 years old, like just watching this and just being in awe of what these dudes were doing. And dude, I'll take it to my grave, man. Nobody was done more wrong by WCW than Mike Awesome. This dude had been the ECW world champ, putting on incredible performances in the States and in Japan. He was a crazy power wrestler, but he could fly, dude. He was like a mix of like, you know, like Scott Hall and, you know, dude, I almost want to say like Seth, dude, the way he could like the, as fast as he was and how he could run and stuff like the guy was the absolute total package. He was like somebody you would make when you were doing create a player on on a wrestling game and just max out every attribute. And they bring him in as the fucking fat chick thriller. Just dude, th this was the biggest problem with WCW. They wanted to change everything that made people special. And I don't know, man. Every time I talk about WCW, it kind of pisses me off because they'd bring in someone awesome and then they would just turn them into nothing. 
Like they would just be like just filler. I mean, there's no way Mike Awesome should have been filler in WCW. He could have easily been the champ in WCW. Yes, dude. Look what they did with Brett. They got Brett after the screw job, dude. The hottest guy in wrestling. And he was a mid-carder within months. Dude, don't you remember when the Warrior came out in WCW and how jacked the crowd was? And within yes, months, dude. they had him doing one Warrior Nation and walking in a fucking circle. Like, dude, I just, I don't get it, dude. They, they would get all these top-name talents and outside of, like, Hogan and the Outsiders, like, they just had no idea what they were doing with them half the time. Same thing with, uh, you know, Flair. Remember, he had his big feud with Eric Bischoff and was gone for basically a year. And they finally bring him back, and he ends up just doing silly shit months later. There were so many times where, like, WCW was handed stuff on a silver platter. And honestly, like, if they would have used, like, I feel like if they would have used Brett right, they probably could have put the nail in the coffin for WWF, man. And they just fucking fumbled the bag every single time. Dude, that roster was so damn stacked when Brett went over there. Like, yes, I dude. seriously thought when Brett left WWE, I, I thought it was going to die. I, I'm not I'm not even joking. I just thought WCW was so stacked with talent that there's just no way they can blow this. I mean, dude, they had, I don't know, 15 main event guys at one point. Yeah, like, man. I, and then you have guys like Mike Awesome that are just floundering at the bottom of the card. It's like... I, I don't know, man. I just, I don't get it. It's it's so frustrating because, yeah, you go back and watch Mike Awesome matches, and yeah, he can work the hardcore style, but he can also wrestle his ass off, dude. And it's yeah, just, it's awesome frustrating. Yeah. All right, so we'll quickly run through these figures. Um, I'll be honest, man, none of these figures are really anything to write home about, but this this show is pretty well represented. Um from a from a figure standpoint, so stop me if uh, there's any of these you want to discuss. So FTC is actually showing some ECW love. They put out a pretty good Justin Credible, Jerry Landy, and Chris Candido from this show. Lance Storm from this is in Classic Superstar Series 23. Mike Awesome has a WCW Toy Biz figure in his all black gear. Uh, there's a Rob Van Dam Jacks Limited Edition figure from this uh, from this show. Uh, our good friends at Cella put out a Hasbro style Hayabusa. Just I think it was here last year, 2021. Taz, Classic Superstar, Series 11 2-pack. Bubba Ray and Devon from OSFTM. And Spike Dudley in Classic Superstars 23, man. I still think it's criminal that when the Dudleys had their uh, their kind of short comeback run with WWE that Mattel didn't crank us out any tie-dye Dudley figures. We just got the modern-day camo ones. Dude, the funniest thing is I was about to interrupt you and say, what the fuck was Mattel thinking, dude? We could have got Spike Dudley, Devon, and Bubba in like a three-pack in the tie-dye. And you're telling me that wouldn't have sold? I know. We got those. I mean, they, the figures themselves weren't that bad, but who was wanting the red camo modern day Dudleys when we could have got the the tie dye with the, the overalls and stuff? Yeah, man. I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like they don't, they don't utilize enough of the talent in the figure line a lot of times. Um, dude, there's like 10 RVDs we could get, obviously. We're probably never getting any Mike Awesome. Yeah, it's Taz, man. Talk about a dude that criminally got no figs in WWE. I know. Like, I love Taz, man. Dude. I talked about it before when we did our N64 wrestling game. When I remember getting uh, WrestleMania 2000 on N64, first thing I did was spend about two hours creating Taz on there. That's how over he was with me as a, as a youngster. So we're going to talk about fumbling the bag on WCW. Dude, I still to this day think WWE fumbled it with Taz. His his debut when he came out at Royal Rumble to wrestle Angle, I I just remember being so jacked that he was in WWE. 
I know he he had a lot of injuries and stuff like that, but dude, he should have been way bigger in WWF. I felt like. Yeah, I think he I think he already had the deck stacked against him, man, for, you know, the height, not being the height he was like, that's just that's just always going to be a thing in WWE. It still is to this day, man, like it's a little bit more easy to to not have the stereo, the, the prototypical wrestling build and, and end up being a big star. But I think the height was already going against him. He could overcome that. But like you said, the the injuries by that time, he he just wasn't quite at the peak of of what he once was. Still could have been way better than what he got. But but yeah, man, it was definitely a little bit disappointing because I believe he was ECW champion when they signed him. Yeah, dude, he was. Yeah, he relinquished the belt to go to WWE. Um, dude, he was just so awesome from his look. Dude, his entrance was so badass. Like, I, I mean, I just can't even imagine being in the ring and watching this dude come down the aisle. Looks like he's about to kill you. Had the t- towel over his head. I just, I don't know, man. I, I loved it. I, I get the size thing, but at some point you got to move past that and just see who he actually is as a talent. And the dude is just straight up talented. Yeah, for sure, dude. The the human suplex machine. Yeah. All right, so I'm fast forwarding to the modern era for my last two picks. This next one I think might be kind of controversial, but it's one of my favorite pay per views of all time. Um, so I'm throwing it on here anyways, money in the bank, 2016. So before we get into this one, I'll ask you, Jordan, do you think money in the bank has graduated from the, uh, the ranks of B shows? Cause it kind of feels like it might be like the fifth major pay-per-view at this point. It is, but we're still not, I mean, it wasn't like we were going to pick, uh, like this year's money in the bank or anything like that. So that's why I kind of let it roll. When I saw you had money, money in the bank on the list, I'm like, and eh, some people might disagree with this just for the fact that it's not really a B show anymore, but I don't know, man, I, th- this show's still to me was a B show at the time. This one was a blast. Dude. This was an all time epic sports day, man. This happened on the same day as game seven of the Warriors and Cavaliers in the 2016 finals. One of the best finals of all time. Father's day. Uh, you know, yeah. On father's day. Uh, just, a just a really epic event. They actually had, between the Money in the Bank match and the main event, they had a Titus O'Neil and Rusev match for the sole purpose of not wanting to start Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns um, until the Warriors and Cavs was over. So pretty funny, man, that uh, you know they actually went through that trouble to make sure they had all eyes on this match because Seth and Roman, they were hyping it as the time, and I think it was accurate. It could have been a, uh, a WrestleMania main event any, any year, dude. But this was Seth's first match back from his knee injury uh you know he won the championship at wrestlemania 31 me and jordan were in the house and had a pretty dang good run man that lasted eight months until he injured his knee so he never lost the belt and he comes back and gets it on that uh you know on in his first match back beats roman clean which that was extremely rare back then i mean it's still only a handful of people that have beat roman clean but but he beat roman clean um and then dean ambrose cashes in the money in the bank he won earlier that night so we had all three members of the shield holding the championship within about a two minute span. Pretty cool. In addition to that, we had AJ Styles and John Cena's first matchup on pay-per-view, another great match. And I just think this was an excellent pay-per-view. It is. And, uh, this to me is like a top 10 day in my life. Um, and I did not watch this show at all. Obviously I'm a huge Cavs fan. So I was watching Cavs warriors. Um, I watched this show a couple days later and yeah, it was fantastic, but yeah, dude, I'm glad you picked this just for the fact that uh, it was a Father's Day show, and this one, for me, was a fantastic day. So, yeah, it, it's a good show. It holds a special place for me as well. So, 
Um, one thing to check out on this one that really stands out. I feel like, you know, WWE is known for their awesome video packages. I feel like they've only kind of gone down a couple notches maybe over the the last few years. But the opening video package for this show and then the one for the Seth and Roman main event match are both really, really epic, man. The one for Seth and Roman kind of shows all the twists and turns, how they're, they're basically their careers have just been intertwined from the start and then they're coming to this moment and it gives you a couple little teases about uh dean ambrose getting involved so yeah just a really really fun show a lot of figures from this one so you got elite 56 luke gallows dana brooke basic 81 seamus basic 72 aj styles elite 51 that's actually one of the best aj figures man the one in just the black and chrome yep that's a really good figure John Cena Elite 50, uh, Dean Ambrose Network Spotlight. This is a really cool one because they made it, you know, not just event specific, it's moment specific. So in the Money in the Bank match, Ambrose uh, still had his wrist taped up how he normally did. But when he came out to cash in the briefcase, he had taken the tape off his wrist. He was just, you know, barehanded. And they actually captured that on the figure. So pretty unique for It's the only Dean Ambrose figure that looks like that. So it's kind of cool that Mattel went through that trouble. Uh, there's an Alberto Del Rio, best of pay-per-view 2014. This is in his red gear. Sami Zayn, basic 69. Nice. <laughs> Chris Jericho, Elite 53. And uh, Rusev, Battle Pack 47. So another event with just a ton of figures. Yeah. That, this is a modern day one. So yeah, they're going to pump out the figures on these ones. I left out too. The Seth Rollins from the Did Now Forever Walmart line. This was when Seth was rocking that gray and black gear from when he first came back. And then Roman Reigns Network Spotlight with a uh, a gold vest. So, yeah, like I said, I, I felt a little bit weird because I got two newer shows, man. So I definitely think I got some recency bias going. But, uh, you know, when I was kind of just running through it, there's a bunch of really, really good B shows all throughout the Attitude Era. But, um, you know, the, the ones that really kind of stand out above the pack, Jordan's about to list them out right now. So we're going to go back to April of 2000, uh, Backlash 2000. This show, to me, um, it, it absolutely destroyed uh, WrestleMania this year, for, this year yeah. for me. Dude, they did what should have been done at WrestleMania and did it on this. Um, little history about this show. This show outsold every WWE pay-per-view that year outside of WrestleMania. So that includes Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Um, the ending of the main event is, I, I think this is one of the best moments in wrestling, honestly. Um, the Stooges, McMahons, and everyone are doing everything to make sure The Rock loses. The glass breaks near the end of the match, and Austin comes out and helps The Rock to win the title. Dude, these are the two biggest stars of that time, and one of them is helping the other one win against the corporation. Like, I'm why the hell would they not have ended WrestleMania like this? Like, I don't know, dude. This I, is I really don't know. Only I was kind of think I like I was literally as I was kind of like running through the show in my mind, um, right before we were getting ready, I was thinking about you know talking about this event, and that would have been such a perfect WrestleMania ending. The only thing I can think is. Maybe they really thought they needed to have Triple H standing tall at the end of Mania to to kind of solidify his spot. But, dude, this would have been a perfect ending, man. It's got some some parallels to WrestleMania 8 where the Ultimate Warrior returned to help Hulk Hogan. And then it also would kind of bridge the gap between 15 and 17 because we know the main event of WrestleMania 15 was Austin and Rock and the main event of 17 was Austin and Rock. So how cool would it be if in between at WrestleMania 16 you had them kind of helping each other out? 
Yeah, dude, this is just such a botch for w- I think this is one of the all-time botches for WWE. WrestleMania 2000 sucks, by the way. That is a shitty show. Um, and the fact that we did not get this at WrestleMania is such a... And this is only, like, four weeks after WrestleMania, mind you. Like, dude, they realized immediately, like, uh, yeah, I probably screwed this one up. But I, I like this show in general, too. Um, you got a six-pack hardcore match with Crash Holly, Matt Hardy... Jeff Hardy, Hardcore Holly, Perry Saturn, and Taz. Great. It's it's a fun match to watch. Um, Dean Malenko and Scotty Too Hotty for the light heavyweight title was really good, too. I, I really enjoy that match. And then uh, you have Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho in a really good match right before the main event. Um, if I mean, if you have not watched this show, you owe it to yourself to watch it. The Austin pop itself is just unreal. And when they realize he's coming to help The Rock, it just... I don't know, man. It's just a special moment in wrestling for me. And like I said, I j- I'll never understand why they wouldn't have done this at Mania. And the crowd is nuclear all night long oh, as yeah. well. It, dude, and I think this was the only time we'd see Austin. I think Austin was gone for another few months after this also. Yeah. I mean, that main event, I don't think the crowd sits at all during the main event. I mean, there's a ton of run-ins, ton of shit. Linda McMahon's out there. Shane's out there. Vince is out there. Like, it, it's a lot of stuff that's going on in this match, but... I mean, dude, just the ending is, like, just perfect. Uh, it's just perfect wrestling. Yeah, it's one of the big flaws of the Attitude Era. Out of the four manias we got, out of 14, 15, 16, 17, two of them straight up sucked, bro. Like, WrestleMania 15 and WrestleMania 16, both are just Not almost good. depressing with how bad they are, dude. They're just convoluted. They feel like glorified episodes of Raw. Um, like, they, I, I feel like WrestleMania 15 and 16 both represent, like, the worst of the Attitude Era. I agree. And then the year after that, you follow it up with what I think is the best WrestleMania ever. I just, I don't get it, man. I, it's just so weird. Like this, again, roster is extremely loaded and it just seemed like half the time they just mailed it in on. Well, I think the biggest thing, honestly, looking back on it, they were getting ratings every week. So they didn't really care if the pay-per-views delivered at this time because you had to tune into Raw and SmackDown every week. It was way more about the weekly TV. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's what you were tuning in for and that's what they were counting on. So I guess when you look back on it on the Attitude Era, it it does make sense why why these kind of things happen. Because, yeah, I mean, they knew everybody was going to be tuned in on Raw on Monday night. Yeah, and this was definitely the time where, like, the big four like definitely did not stick out as much as, as they typically did historically. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. All right. So we'll run down the figures again. So that Taz again from classic superstars, 11, the two pack X-Pac from elite 33 in the classic black and gear, black and green gear. Uh, Jeff Hardy from the Jacks team, extreme three pack big boss man in the heat in the shield gear. Boss man. In Elite 47, uh, Backlash Series 5, Hardcore Holly. There's actually a Backlash series of figures, dude. There was a, a whole yep. um, line of Backlash figures. That's how that's how important this pay-per-view was. Uh, Kurt Angle from uh, the Jax WrestleMania 20 set. He had the same singlet on. Devon from Jax Famous Scene Series 3. Chris Benoit from Famous Scene Series 2. Chris Jericho from Famous Scene Series 2. Elite 69, nice, rock. And uh, the Ultimate Edition Triple H. One more thing to sign sign off on this pay-per-view. We we talked about sets and stuff that really made it. Dude, the set for Backlash 2000, 2001, and 2002 was the same. It was the swinging sickles at the, at the entrance. Dude, how awesome is that? And also how dangerous is that? Like, looking back on it, 
I mean, just imagine <laughs> if one of those fell and like hit the audience or something like, and, and Matt Hardy climbed one of these and jumped off of it. I, I don't know. Just looking back on it, man. WB was not out there for safety at this time. Nah, you don't remember. Uh, I can't remember if it was like fucking Capital Carnage or it may have been a backlash where Trish, they had that. St- I think it was Invasion where they had that stage with like the big fucking circle, like opening in the middle of it. And Trish Stratus almost falls into it. Yeah, dude. They were like I said, they were not about safety at this point, but. I don't know, man. It, it made the pay-per-views feel so special because I think that's one of the things I don't like about current day is that all the same. It's the exact same, dude. All that changes is the Titan Tron in the background. Like nothing else changes about it. It's just the same thing every week. I don't know, man. I just I wish they would do more special stuff for pay-per-views. I mean, it's supposed to be important, you know. It's 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 supposed to feel different than weekly TV. And I think that's one of my biggest things right now is it just kind of feels like the same thing every every month to me outside of WrestleMania. Yeah, they, uh, you know, I think we got a, a listener mail question on it, but it definitely feels like they take us they take us for granted a little bit when we're kind of giving up, you know, three hours of our of our weekend nights to watch these shows. Yeah, it sucks, but um, yeah, that, that's all I really got to say about this great show. Um, yeah, just fun. All right, so I got another super modern one, man. So feel free, you guys, if you guys want to flame for me on this one. But I thought the show rocked. It was one of the best shows of the last last couple of years, man. Clash at the Castle from last summer in the UK, dude. Again, another one. It kind of had that same thing Canadian Stampede had, where you got a foreign crowd who's maybe you know doesn't take the you know is isn't spoiled by having pay per views in their backyard all the time. So the crowd was on fire the whole time. Uh, big ma- three big matches where he stuck out. Gunther and Sheamus had a match of the year. You know, a true European strong style match where Sheamus just looked like a giant freaking blister by the end of the match from all the shots he was taking from uh, from Gunther. And, and it was cool because Sheamus got to stand, even though he came up short, he got to get the standing ovation from the crowd. And I feel like that was definitely deserved, man, because Sheamus is somebody who kind of gets a lot of uh I, f- I feel like he was kind of just in the mix for a long time and people didn't realize how what a what a really great wrestler he was you had seth and matt riddle who were in a just a red hot feud at the time and seth actually busts out the second rope curb stomp uh first time we had ever seen that pulled off in a match um he's topped it since then we know we hit the, the top rope curb stomp on on omos at uh at Backlash, right? Yep. That was the name of the Puerto. Yeah, yeah, sorry, it was, it was escaping me for a minute, dude. I, I, I thought I was getting confused because we just got done talking about Backlash. <laughs> You're good. And then uh, Roman and Drew had a just classic in the main event, dude. Which I, I don't know, man. I think this is probably the closest Roman's come to losing the belt, dude. Like that, some of the near falls, and I don't feel like Cody had any of those like just freaking cunt hair, uh, close like near falls that that drew got on roman in this match so i think this is the closest we saw to roman's reign ending uh before solo sokoa finally made his main roster debut and officially joined the bloodline to help his cousin keep the belt um we're gonna ignore that bizarre ending where drew mcintyre and tyson fury were singing don't look back in anger by oasis in the crowd still not sure what that was all about i think maybe the cameras were supposed to be cut off but we got to see that all but i thought this was just a really fun show yeah, dude, I don't, I don't fault you at all for picking this one. It, it is really fun to watch. I mean, maybe it's a little too recent for what we're doing here because this is more we, – we like to look back on this nostalgia. But, I mean, it was almost a year ago now, so we're good. Uh, 
But yeah, it's a fun show to watch. I was actually at the Nebraska football game when this show was going on and Seth was texting me. He's like, are you watching this? I'm like, dude, I'm at a football game. He's like, pull it up on your phone. I was like, oh yeah, it's a hundred degrees outside and I'm at a football game. It says asking me to watch the wrestling pay-per-view while I'm at a Husker game. Dude, I had a ball that show, dude, because freaking Sheena had a friend that lives in Nashville, her friend Aaron. It's it's our friend Aaron, but, you know, she's really close friends with Sheena. She actually came down and visited that week. So the kids were inside because they love just hanging out when there's another adult over. And, you know, Sheena and her were just hanging out, you know, just talking at the kitchen table. So I had the whole, you know, Jordan's been out there in the Redneck Riviera on the back porch. I had the whole back patio to myself, dude, cooler full of beer. Nobody distracting me, bugging me, and just really get to take the show in. So maybe that's why it, it rocketed up the charts for my all-time rankings. That's probably why. Like, dude, having some alone time and just getting to watch some wrestling by yourself is a uh, uh, – it doesn't happen often. Let's just say that. Yeah. And it was an afternoon pay-per-view too. You know, with the UK thing, I think it started at noon. So it was just a whole, totally different vibe. Like I said, there's a, I, I'm a huge in your house fan. Like the new gene era was my era of wrestling. So there's, there's some in your house shows that I'm really, really fond of, but would be kind of hard to defend on the, on a podcast, but other than just saying, you know, I love them because I watched them when I was a kid, you know? <laughs> uh, Cause there's some, there was definitely some shitty matches on some in your house shows, but yeah, I just, I thought this was a really fun show. Um, figures were actually pretty light on exact figures. Elite 17, Seamus. He actually, you know, Seamus, uh, going all the way back to Elite 17, had a figure that's got basically the same gear. And then the Elite, upcoming Elite 104, Drew, is Drew's look from that show. So we're surprisingly light on uh, we're su- on figures from that. We're surprisingly light on a pay-per-view that just happened in the last year. Like, dude. Well, I just figured there'd be some, like, you know, some people that have like their like everyday wear, you know what I mean? But a lot of people were busting out some special gear. Um, Seth had the, the Elton, Ga- Elton John, like Elton uh, orange. Elton gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that, starting to get a little faded too, dog. <laughs> the, uh, he had on the orange Elton, Elton John gear. Um, and, and Roman had his red boots, dude. So we got to get Mattel to hurt and crack us out of red boots, Roman, dude. Cause he's been rocking the different boots for about a year now. So, uh, but yeah, man. So actually a little bit light on exact figures on that one, but really fun show. I, I told, I welcome all the hate and you guys, I really couldn't argue with it too much. If you guys feel like that's too recent of a show to have on my list. It's all right, man. We're still with you. We're in solidarity. We're with you. Uh, my next one is ECW one night stand from 2005. Um, I never thought we would see this, honestly, just because Vince was not a fan of ECW. He he made it known that he did not love that style of wrestling. It just it wasn't in his appetite, but they gave us one. They went to the Hammerstein Ballroom, sold it out, 2,500 people, and it sounds like there's about 50,000 people in there. Um, just, I mean, dude, it's just like a, a night of wrestling that you, you never thought you were going to get. It's just they brought everybody back for it. I mean, Lance Storm and Chris Jericho is the opener. Lance Storm hadn't wrestled in a while, so the fact that they even got him to do a match was unreal. It was it was a great match, too. Um, super crazy. Defeated Little Guido um, and Tajiri in a three-way dance. And for being only six minutes, dude, they brought it for six minutes. I mean, oh, yeah. none of these matches have a ton of runtime because – 
the show was just a lot of like there was a lot of video packages. There's a lot of talking. I mean, obviously, it was a nostalgia show, man. It was like a really, really fun house show, dude. Yeah, like Joey Styles is doing a lot on this. Paul Heyman cuts a killer promo about how much ECW meant to him and all that stuff. I mean, it, it really is a good promo. It's and it's so well done. Um, Ray Mysterio wrestled Psychosis in a great match. Sabu and Rhino wrestled. Um, RVD couldn't wrestle because he was a little bit banged up at this time. So he was in Sabu's corner with Bill Alfonso. Um, Chris Benoit defeated Eddie Guerrero in a great match. The stars of the show again, Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka. Just, dude, this is 10 minutes of just nothing but them kicking the shit out of each other again. Um, just a, a great match. And then they ended it with uh, the Dudley boys uh, defeating Sandman, Tommy Dreamer. Um, there is a really, really cool moment at the end of this. I still don't know, looking back on it, if it's completely necessary. Um, Austin comes out to drink a beer with everybody. I love the beer bash, dude. It, I gotta have us a beer bash. It was cool. I mean, it, I, don't get me wrong. It's cool anytime you see Austin anywhere. Um, but then that turns into a brawl. And yeah. the, the the number one thing that everybody remembers out of this pay-per-view is JBL beating the living shit out of Blue Meanie. <laughs> dude, that was some hateful punches he threw at Blue Meanie. I know, dude. He busted him wide open. It's just supposed to be a little battle royal, dude. Nobody should be going stiff at that point, man. Like, that's why I... I dude, JBL's always been a down check for me. And one reason I, I still fucking ride for Stevie Richards is I can't remember if it was on an episode of Raw or Heat, but it was like a week or two later... Where you know the it, the the storyline called for Stevie Richards to hit JBL with a chair, and you know Stevie Richards and Blue Mini are tight, and you know Big Stevie Cool fucking lays the wood into JBL, <laughs> dude. Like that motherfucker's ears had to be ringing. So yeah, just if you want to check it out, just Google like first off Google like JBL Blue Mini. Um, I'm sure you can find the video clips. It's bad, and then. And then look at the payback, dude, from fucking Stevie Richards on JBL, dude. So, yeah, J- Stevie Richards is the fucking real one of the week on, on this episode of the Pod Warriors. Dude, that JBL and Blue Mini clip is bad. Like, I mean, it, he literally targets him, and the punches, you can tell, are stiff punches. Like, it's just not good. And that, yeah, like, dude, you can see Blue Mini just looks like he's, like, surprised and confused by it, dude. It'd be one thing if, like... They had heat that Meanie knew about and like, you know, was fucking like he was expecting like the, to be like a fight. But you could tell like Blue Meanie has no idea what's even going on, man. It's just yeah, it's just fucking mean. Dude. Not, not to mention, dude, I have never in my life of watching wrestling heard a negative word about Blue Meanie. Never yes, in my dude. life. He sounds yeah. like he's the nicest guy you could ever meet in your life. And. Yeah, dude, JBL's just a dick, man. If if yeah, it's not JBL, yeah, dude, he's he's just one of those. He's one of the old guys that oh, this isn't my style, so I'm just gonna shit on it. You know, it's just the way he is, and it sucks that that's the way this show ends. Because, dude, it is just a fun show, and honestly, man. I had never felt younger in my life than I did that night. I mean, I was 20 years old and I seriously felt like I was about eight watching that show. Cause it's just, it's just fun, man. It's just fun to watch it. And I, they'll probably, we'll probably never get another show like that in our lives. You know, I mean, we're not going to have another buyout of a company anytime soon. So I highly doubt we're getting a nostalgia show ever again. So enjoy it. I, uh, dude, I, very well said, man. And One Night Stand 2005 was great. I got a hot take, though, dude. In my heart, I like 2006 better, man. Interesting. That John Cena and that... I, 
top to bottom, 2005 was the better show, but that Rob Van Dam John Cena match is one of my favorites, dude. I just thought that was between the match and the crowd and RVD winning the championship. Like, I just, I love that freaking match, dude. I think that's the most, I think that was the coolest thing John Cena ever did when he's got that whole crowd hating him and he just walks out holding that belt above his head, man. He's got people swiping at him, throwing shit at him, and he just, embraces that hate dude and then him and rob van dam have a banger of a match man so yeah it's definitely just off of that one match but like yeah i I loved one night stand 2006 also dude i think the thing about so this is the reason i like 2005 so much is because it was all ex ecw wrestlers i will say 2006 is the hottest i've ever seen a crowd like I think they literally would have killed somebody if Cena would have won that match. (laughs) Like, they had those banners that were draped over the sides that said, if Cena wins, we riot. Like, I'm dead serious. I think they rushed the ring if he wins that match. Like, it would have been an ugly scene. Um, Another really notable fact about this pay-per-view, this is an appearance of pro wrestler Kevin Steen on this show. He's in the audience, and they showed him (laughs) on camera. Nice, dude. Nice. Better, better known as Kevin Owens for those that aren't in the, uh, in the know, man. So that's pretty cool, dude. Definitely a, uh, a, just a really, really fun show, man. And yeah, I, I remember the beer bash. I forgot about the blue mini thing and JBL happened on this one. For some reason, I was thinking that happened in a different show, but yeah, that's fuck JBL, dude. If anybody wants to know where the Chick-fil-A show stands on JBL, yeah, he's, he's thumbs down for us all the way. Yep. All right, we will quickly run through the figures. This is another one. You know, Jack's just the fucking workhorses of the wrestling figure industry, man. They were cranking out the figures back in the day. So this is a well-represented show. Uh, you get Rey Mysterio, Jack's Ruthless Aggression, Pay-Per-View Series 9. Chris Benoit, Ruthless Aggression, Series 26. The Dudley Boys, Ruthless Aggression, Series 9, Pay-Per-View. Uh, and... Mattel has Eddie Guerrero, WrestleMania 32 Basic. I don't think he was supposed to... I'm not sure which WrestleMania he was wearing this gear, but he rocked the same gear at One Night Stand 2005. And then that Mike Awesome Toy Biz figure again. All right, Jordan, you ready to get to our... Both of our choice for the number one B show of all time? Oh, you know I am. All right, Bash at the Beach 1996. You can make an argument... Outside of any WrestleMania, this may be the most historically significant wrestling event of all time. Some good matches on here. Ray Mysterio and Psychosis have a great lucha match. Conan and Ric Flair have a really good match. This is when Conan was still kind of like the the biggest star in Mexican wrestling. But honestly, we're really kind of here for one match and one match only. That's the the the, the Outsiders, Holland Nash with a mystery third man against Lex Luger, Sting, and the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Dude, uh, I'll I'll do you one further. You can argue with anybody you want. This is the most important night in wrestling history. It just, it is, dude. I, looking back on this, and I mean, dude, people still talk about this show to this day. It's just, dude, it was the forming of the NWO, man. Like, this is a, one of the most legendary factions of all time formed on this show. And I just, I think that this is just such a historic night for wrestling, so. This was an to me like if we were ranking these, this was easily number one for me. This was the first show I put down on my list. Like I I knew that there was nothing that could get better than this for me, just based on the significance of it. Yeah, we just you know me and I was born in eighty four. Jordan was born in eighty five. So we are kids of the Hulkamania era, dude. Like we came up with. 
Hulk Hogan, eat your vitamins, train, say your prayers. Like, I mean, he was the epitome of like the American spirit, being a baby face, everything it means to be a good person. Like that's what Hulk was. And just to see him turn his back on all that (laughs) after all these years, dude, it was just, it was surreal, man. Like it really was. I, I told the story on the, on the, I, you know, between pod warriors and Chick-fil-A show before, but my papa Clyde, my great grandpa, you know, I talked about watching great American bash 1989 with him. He was, he was real old at this point, dude. Like he was up there in his late seventies by this point. And when all the speculation was going on for who the third man was, he had actually called it. Dude. He told me and my little brother, Tad, he said, it's going to be Hulk Hogan. You know, we, we hadn't seen Hulk in a couple months. He'd been off like filming a movie or whatever. And he told us, he said, I think it's going to be the Hulkster. And, you know, we're like the meme. We're like, you know, go back to sleep, grandpa. Like, you know, like, that's fine. You know, like, we're, but we're like, there's no way, dude. That's just, it, you know, even, even though you could make, you could connect the dots and be like, okay, it'd be cool. You just never thought that Hulk was actually going to turn heel. Well, so now, now looking back on it in our older years, Hulk Hogan was always kind of a heel because he was always kind of a dick. So he always worked heel. Yeah, he was definitely. Yeah, when you look back, yeah, Hulk was definitely a fucking asshole. Yeah. So that's funny that your grandpa called it though, because yeah, dude, I don't know, man. Just like looking back on this show for me, it's just I don't know, man. It's just it's a wild night of wrestling and something I would have never expected from Hulk Hogan at that time. Yeah, I remember watching it live and, you know, looking back at it now, like who else could it really have been besides Hulk Hogan? Like maybe Brett, but, you know, we hadn't heard any, you know, this was pre-internet, dude. And so there was no reason to think that Brett was actually leaving WWF, even though he was on a hiatus. I kept thinking maybe Sting, man. Like I I remember as a kid thinking that Sting was going to turn on him. And then I remember, if you remember in the match, Lex Luger goes out within like the first five minutes on a stretcher. I remember thinking that Lex Luger was going to come back and turn on him because, you know, he'd been in WWF and Lex was always kind of a tweener character, right? Like he had a lot of heel and face turns over the years, but, but yeah, sure enough, the, we come out and then, and then Hulk comes out and I want to ask you, man, cause this is definitely a, a point of contention historically. Do you think that Bobby Heenan fucked up when as Hulk's coming out, he says, you know, whose side is he on? Yeah. hundred percent. He sh- he definitely shouldn't have did that. Yeah, I think so, too. According to Eric Bischoff and everybody that was involved with it, the announcers didn't know, right? Like, the announcers were kept in the dark. I think it was, you know, the guys in the match, and then um, I want to say Eric Bischoff, Kevin Sullivan, and I think Jimmy Hart were, like, the only people that knew that this was going down. And uh, I I think it was just a a natural thing for Bobby Heenan to say. I feel like maybe if they would have brought – coached him up on it that he wouldn't have said that, you know, cause I think it was, you know, Bobby Heenan had been hating on Hulk Hogan for years, but it definitely kind of, I feel like it, it took just a little edge off it. Cause it at least planted that seed in your mind. Like, Oh shit, maybe Hulk's going to turn on him. But that that's, a, I think that's kind of like the only minor criticism you can even have on how this whole angle went down. You know, Hulk comes in, clears the ring of Hall and Nash crowds going nuts. Dusty Rhodes is on commentary. Just, going ape shit, you know, that Hulk Hogan's here to save the day. And then he turns around and drops that fucking leg on Macho Man. Dude, just an absolutely iconic moment in wrestling history. We all hate Hulk, but yeah, dude, just an insane night. And he cut a killer promo too, man. He, even though he originally called it the New World Organization instead of the New World Order, um, yeah. cuts a good promo. You know, that cr- even though... 
Um, obviously, we don't condone people throwing debris and throwing fly, you know foreign objects into the ring because you could hurt somebody. All the trash getting thrown into the ring, it really kind of made the moment. Agreed, hundred percent. Because I don't think it would have felt as shitty without that, without them doing that. Because, dude, we all kind of felt the same. Like, what a dickhead! He stabbed us all in the back after all these years. Everybody defended him, and then he does this. So, yeah, dude, it it is. It's just an iconic moment. And like I said, if if people really don't agree that this is like one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history, like, are you even a wrestling fan at that point? Yeah, it's the best, dude. Like the whole show's fun too, man. But that match looms so large that like it's really, you know, it, it it's it's not a one match show, but that match was so big and so hyped up that it kind of feels like it. Well, dude, it just a lot of it overshadows head- everything else. That's the problem. Like, even if there was like a five star match on before it, it would have been overshadowed just because of that. Yeah, and so I know it's probably kind of hard to understand for our younger listeners. You can remember, this is like the early days of the internet. Like, the majority of fans weren't really smartened up, man. Like, we didn't, this stuff was still presented. Like, we knew wrestling was fake, but sometimes, like, the storylines just seemed so real. And it really felt like WWF was invading WCW, dude. It really felt like it was like, you know, some Avengers type shit. Like, this was like an existential, like, crisis for WCW, right? Like, they're about to get put out of business by these outsiders. Yeah, it's uh, it's really crazy. All right. Uh, we will quickly run through the list of figures. This is a show that's got a lot of figure love. So the Series 3 Nasty Boys from the San Francisco Toymakers line, they're in the green gear. It's the only green Nasty Boys that we've gotten. Um, two figures from that really cool Four Horsemen Toy Biz set that came out, Dean Malenko and Steve Mongo McMichael from that or from this show. Mm-hmm. So Ric Flair's rocking his red gear uh, with the red boots. Believe it or not, the best figure representation of this is that god-awful Ric Flair Hasbro figure. That might be, honestly, one of the worst figures of all time, too. Yeah, it's just a really, really weird figure, man. Um, Arn Anderson was rocking black boots and black trunks. The only time we've gotten that in figure form is actually in his micro-brawler. Chris Benoit's uh, OSFTM line that was kind of like Hasbro-style figures... It represents Chris Benoit from this show. Mattel put out that really, really cool uh, Macho Man, Lex Luger, and Sting three-pack that then now forever set with the face paint. Jordan actually hooked me up with that one. Uh, yep. Found it in Nebraska and brought it out to Hawaii. I brought that one. Didn't I, That was when I brought you uh, Earthquake and Typhoon, too, wasn't it? And the shield, dude. Oh, yeah. Brought brought me. You know, my suitcase was full of Seth's figures on my way to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't know why Mattel never revisited that. Both those sets sold quick because I, I think I saw the the Macho and uh, Sting set on pegs once and I never saw the shield set, dude. Those those th- elite three packs were really, really cool, dude. This was in early late 2016, early 2017. They gave us a classic shield set and then um, they gave us Macho Lex and Sting from Bash of the Beach, which was really cool because Macho and Lex got face paint. I remember like, and it was kind of like a shock drop. Like they weren't yeah. shown at Comic-Con. They weren't hyped up. It just, they kind of popped up on the pegs. I remember Sheena showing me off like the WrestleFix forums and I was just stunned, dude, because I had been like fantasy booking like those three figures for a long time. The, uh, the baby faces from, from this event. You know what the craziest part about those two, three packs is as well. So I was at Walmart when those were getting put out. It was just dumb luck. And I had texted Seth. I remember texting you and being like, Hey, do you want either one of these? Cause I was getting them for myself. So I was like, do you want either one of these? And you were like, yeah. 
they were filling every peg up with those uh, then now forever line too. And you're like, dude, if you can get the earthquake and typhoon too, get those. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the most I've ever spent on figures in, in a store at one time. <laughs> and the craziest thing is I never saw those three packs again. I never saw them at any other Walmarts in Omaha. That was the only time I ever saw them. And it just seemed like it was just an accident that my Walmart got them. Yeah, they were pretty limited run, man. The the Macho Lex and Sting pack, it's not crazy valuable. I know that Shield pack goes for pretty good money nowadays, man. I actually sold um, both of those packs just because I being MOC dude and holding both those packs, like there's just no space for them anywhere. So I eventually just sold them both of them at the same time. I don't remember what I got for them, but it was like I think it was like two fifty for both packs. Yeah, it's a uh it's definitely a big set. I'm gonna do a quick uh I'm doing a quick eBay search, man. See what they're going for right now. So yeah, so that shield set right now, there's two listed on eBay. One is for 400, and the other one's for 250. Wow. I know, man. man. I mean, it makes sense when you look at what those three guys have done since then. But yeah, let's see what the Macho and Sting one. There are there's no of the Macho Sting and Luger listed on eBay right now. Let me click check the sold listings. It's crazy to think that they've never done a three pack of the heels, man. Like the, uh, like we've gotten them in. So the the Sting, Macho, and Luger that sold for one twenty five most recently. So it's okay. still pretty pricey. Yeah, that's still pretty. Pricey. But uh, but yeah. So for the NWO side of the house, Elite sixteen, Kevin Nash, and the Red Gear, which I could totally see that getting re released as an Ultimate Edition sometime soon. Hopefully, uh, they need to do Scott this Hall, as a three pack, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. I don't know why we've never gotten these as a three-pack. It's such an awesome moment. Yeah, with, Scott Hall with, in Elite 51. Go do, ahead, Jordan. Do you like the NWO spray paint on the front of it and, and do it like a flip-up lid? I think that'd be awesome, dude. Yeah, that would be pretty badass, too. Uh, Scott Hall in Elite 51, the black and red gear. Really, really great figure, man. Um, and then... Uh, the clo- so there's been Jax has or excuse me Mattel has two pretty close Hulksters the one that just came out Legends 18 and then the one from Hall of Fame Series 2 are both pretty close but there's a Jax limited edition it's like a classic superstar slash ruthless aggression style figure that's actually the only one that's been the exact version so Mattel's never done the exact Bash at the Beach um, Hulk Hogan surprisingly enough wow that is crazy yeah, but yeah, if you if anybody from Mattel is listening, dude, give us give us a three pack, man. That would that'd be a great San Diego Comic Con exclusive, dude. Hulk in the red and yellow, and Holland Nash from Bash at the Beach at uh in nineteen ninety six would be awesome. Yeah, I would I would love to have that. All right, you ready for some listener mail, Jordan? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm ready to go. All right, let's do it, dude. All right, so first off, we have from our good friend Sambro. So uh, this was before I clarified we were talking pay-per-views. I think he thought we were talking regular TV, but he says, is, is Thunder the worst of all time? It's definitely up there, man. Um, I think Rampage is giving it a run for its money right now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Rampage has had some some hidden gem episodes and stuff, but Thunder is like, like the first two episodes were kind of cool, and then, dude, it was just... No effort whatsoever, well, man. Dude, they, you want to sw- they based Thunder around one person, dude. It was Glacier. The entire show was premised off him. And yeah. he was an absolute flop when they when he finally debuted. So it pretty much killed that show. Yeah, if you want to see some of the worst pro wrestling ever, just watch like some 1999 2000 episodes 
of WCW Thunder. So, yeah, I think Sam Broman nailed it. I think it might actually be the uh, the worst of all time. Okay, yeah, dude, that those shows are so bad. All right, so Kurt Kilberg says, Fully loaded in 1999 is a true hidden gem. We had a great viewing party that night, back when you could round up enough people for a viewing party. Plus, Vince McMahon couldn't be on TV anymore, and you know WWF always abides by their stipulations. Mm-hmm. Dude, what was you got to jog my memory, dude? I'm I'm kind of oh, drawing dude. a blank here, man. This is a banger, dude. The main event was a first blood match between Austin and Taker, um, and uh, he uh, Austin retained the title by hitting uh, Taker in the head with a television camera and causing him to bleed after X Pac interfered. So we're July 1999. Let me run down this card real quick. So we got. Jeff Jarrett defeated Edge for the Intercontinental Championship. The Acolytes defeated the Hardy Boys for the tag belts. D'Lo Brown defeated Midian for the European Championship. A lot of title changes, dude. Big Boss Man defeated Al Snow for the Hardcore Belt. Big Show beat Kane. Ken Shamrock defeated Steve Blackman. Oh, my God, dude. The matches on this. Road Dog and X-Pac beat Billy Gunn in China for the rights to the name of D-Generation X. <laughs> and then... Uh, Triple H defeated The Rock to be the number one contender at SummerSlam. And yeah, Steve Austin beat Undertaker. I do not remember this one, man, at all, dude. Like, I, I know I watched it because I watched every pay-per-view back then. But yeah, this one definitely is just in the mix. But Jordan, you're, you're giving it certified banger status? This is a great pay-per-view. This was actually on my list. I think this was like eighth on my list for putting it on there. I mean, dude, it was just so much fuckery. Like, if Austin won, Vince couldn't appear on TV anymore. Yeah, right. They were really going to do that. Yeah, for sure. All right, Johnny JB taking us off wrestling. Says, not wrestling related. Thoughts about the John Morant situation. So, I'll get this one kicked off. I'm right here in the Memphis area, so I feel feel like i got to speak on this one first, man. So, for those not in the know, John Morant was suspended... Uh, in March of this NBA season because he was on Instagram live in a strip club in Denver with a, uh, a pistol in his hand, which, uh, you know, that was kind of justified because Denver, you're not allowed to have, um, you know, guns out in nightclubs or bars or anything. And then there was some speculation that if he had it there, he probably had it on the team flight back to Memphis. But this past week he was on Instagram live here in Tennessee uh, in a car, listening to some rap music, kind of just doing what young people do, singing along, dancing with a song. And he had a gun in his hand. And because of that, the Grizzlies have suspended him indefinitely from all team activities. So I'll say this, man, is there's definitely a million better ways he could be spending his time and things he could be doing that wouldn't hurt his image. Uh, it's incredibly dumb and it's not good gun safety as a responsible gun owner. Like, yeah, you know, strikes to him on that. Dude. It's not, it's not good practice whatsoever, but I have a hard time understanding why this dude is being suspended from his livelihood over this, man. Tennessee is, you don't have to have a license to carry. You can carry concealed. You can open carry. It's basically, you know, no holds barred when it comes to guns in Tennessee. Um, And like, to be honest, man, I feel like it's a little bit racist, dude. Like if it was like, I feel like if it was, um, you know, a, a white dude out with, you know, with his gun, I don't think it'd be a big deal, man. So I, I kind of feel like Josh is getting targeted on this, man. Like I said, for, I don't, I don't understand why being stupid caused you to get suspended, man. Um, and that's kind of my take on it, dude. Jordan. Dude. I feel like him doing this. I get what you're saying. You're exactly right. He has a right to have a gun. 
I feel like the biggest problem is, dude, he just did that strip club thing not even two months ago. I feel like if that wasn't there, this wouldn't be a problem. They'd just talk to him and stuff like that. The biggest problem is, dude, NBA has an image to uphold. And when, I mean, when when you start doing stuff like this, like kids look up to you and stuff, and they start seeing that, they definitely don't want violence to be associated with NBA, right? Um, and I feel like, dude, that first time that he got in trouble was a really bad look for him, man. That's just, I feel especially when he did the whole he did the whole heartfelt apology shit too, which now that seems completely insincere, right? I I think that's the biggest problem, dude. Is he did that, did the apology to her, and now he's done this, and I feel like. Dude, I think Adam or Adam Silver is going to drop the bomb on him. I think he might get suspended like half the season next year. Honestly, see, I was, I'm hoping, man, as a as a Grizzlies fan and a John Morant fan, that maybe the Grizzlies were just trying to be preemptive to keep the NBA from dropping the hammer, right? Like, kind of like let us handle it at our level. You know, you guys don't got to weigh in on this, but yeah, it's not good. And dude, on the the role model thing, you're 100 percent right, dude. Like, I, you know, John Morant's my son's favorite player. Or, you know, he started seeing highlights of the Grizzlies and the dude just stands out with a colorful hair. And I can tell you from seeing him in person, the dude, he, you know, he really stands out on the court. He's a very, very special athlete. And I agree with you hundred percent about the, um, you know, not just the image thing, but he's a role model, dude. Like regardless of what any athlete wants to say, that's part of the deal that comes with the fame and the money. You're a role model for little kids and he's definitely not setting an example for 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 any kids, man, with the way he's acting out there. So, like, if Nike or Powerade wanted to drop him, I wouldn't have any beef with that. I think they're fully justified. I just think it's a little bit of an overstep for the Grizzlies to straight up say, like, hey, dude, we're, you're not going to be allowed to work anymore because of this. I think, dude, here's what I think happened. I think that shit happened and they told him, hey, man. There is no no more warnings or anything like that. Next time you're in deep shit or they, they gave him his options. I think that the dude is just another case of he does not put himself around the right people. Right. And this is the, the problem with professional athletes like. And it's not like Jaw was like raised poorly or anything, dude. He went to a I private know, that's school. the craziest thing, dude. Like he's comes from dude, he's, dude, his parents are still together. Like he doesn't come from any kind of broken home. That's what I say, dude. He's a he's dude, he's a wannabe gangster, right? Like he's not a real fucking gangster, dude. Like his real name's Demetrius, man. Yeah. Like he's just trying to he's for whatever reason, dude, just I, I assume it's just out of immaturity. He's just wanting to like live this image, you know? Yeah, I just feel bad for the dude, man. I think I just think that he's just leading himself down a road, um, and I just I, I feel like he's gonna I, I feel like he's gonna kill his career, man. You know, you said he surrounds himself by the wrong people, but if you watch that video, like his friend, as soon as Ja pulled the gun out, his friend puts the phone down, dude. Like I think I think yeah. it may just be Ja, dude. Like I think his friends might be like, "What the hell are you doing?" But I don't know why you feel the need to go on. A- instagram live anyways man like what are you what are you doing dude you just signed a 200 million dollar contract you got a beautiful house out here in the country he's actually in my neck of the woods out here in tennessee way out here in the sticks dude like just chill bro go go sit by the pool and drink a fucking mai tai right i feel bad for the dude because i just i think he's really ruining his career man and he was probably about to get a boatload of money too is the worst thing like 
I hope this dude doesn't. Re- and he got, dude, he got a Nike deal. He got a signature shoe from Nike. Like, I know. what the fuck are you doing? Like, what is wrong with these kids, man? Like, going even going back to Vic, like, dude, like you have the world by the balls, basically. Like, you're on top of the world, and you can't break away from stupid shit. I just don't get it. If I had that kind of talent and opportunity, I would be sitting at the house, working on my game, doing what I need to do, stay on top of that, and just chilling and enjoying my life, bro. Like sit, like I said, sitting by the pool, fucking playing video games, doing whatever, man. Like why, why even mess with the nonsense? So, yeah, like I said, man, I to, to boil it down, Johnny, I think it's incredibly stupid what he did, but I think maybe there's he's getting dealt with a little bit of a heavy hand from from his team and, and from the NBA, but you know that's. I think that's kind of just the, the price that comes along with, with that level of fame and, and opportunity, you know? Yeah. I feel bad for the dude. I really do. Cause I feel like he's throwing it all away for nothing. All right. Zach Hertzler says favorite B show entrance stage. I think Jordan, you already mentioned backlash 2000 years. You got another one you want to shout out? I do. Uh, we'll go with uh Halloween havoc, 1998, the gargoyle holding the pumpkin that had Halloween havoc on it. I love it. Dude, I, I kind of love Spring Stampede. Remember, these always have it look kind of like the fucking shootout at the OK Corral. WCW always went all out with the sets. Yeah, the WCW knew what they were doing. They killed it. I think, honestly, dude, I think one thing that killed the... I don't know why AEW's not giving us unique sets. They should. We're shelling out 50 bucks for those fucking pay-per-views. AEW should be doing the unique sets. For WWE... I could kind of get it because they started giving away all the pay-per-views on the network and on um, on Peacock, you know, for 10 bucks a month. So I could kind of I still think they should do them, but I can give them a little bit of a pass. But AEW needs to step it up, dude. I, I, the pay-per-views need to look different from Dynamite. Yeah, they definitely do. All right. Zach Squirtzer's got another question for us. That's his affectionate nickname for us here. Uh, stupid question for fun. How many beers do you drink when you cut the grass? For me, it can be anywhere from two to four beers. I need to stay hydrated. Safety first. So I use a push mower, man. So I really don't drink beers while I'm, uh, uh, while I'm mowing the grass, man. No, I'll definitely, I'll down an ice cold beer right after I get done. But I'm not I'm not drinking while I while I mow, man. How about you? Yeah, I'm more of a post mow beer kind of guy. I don't, dude. I'm when I'm mowing, man. Though I, I I do a push mower too, and we have a hill in our backyard. The last thing I want is to end up being drunk and then falling down and getting cut by the mower or something, dude. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny, but dude, I'm I'm sure it happens, man. Like hit a slick spot in the yard or a hole that my dog dug. So like, yeah, I don't do much drinking while I'm mowing. Yeah. Sorry to let you down, Zach. Yeah, I'm all about the post mow beer. So, Zach, we need a follow up question, bro. Are you are you on a riding mower and you got a beer in the cup holder? Because that's cool as fuck, dude. Or are you like you got a beer set off in the shade and you just, you know, you mow a few lines and go take a couple gulps, man. Like, let let us know what the game plan is. Uh, TNT Tyson Neil Trevino says any superstar Billy Graham story. So, again, we're recording this on Thursday, May 18th uh superstar billy graham absolute legend in the wrestling biz passed away last night i um i don't really have any man like i mentioned earlier you know i'm 84 jordan's 85 we kind of were were after um the superstars heyday i remember watching a few vhs tapes from the 80s i think SummerSlam 88 he's the color commentator on that but i don't got a whole lot of memories of this guy man how about you jordan 
No, just like you, um, I, I don't really have a lot of memories. The only thing that I can really remember is like when the when all like the steroid talk hit is this was one of the first guys that was mentioned for steroids and stuff. But yeah, man, I it's it sucks. I mean, the older we get, the more of our uh, wrestlers are going to pass away. But um, yeah, man, I just don't have a whole lot of memories of Billy Graham. There is a really really good WWE produced. Um, documentary about him i'm about to look hopefully it's still on peacock i know it was on the network yeah so if you want to go on peacock it's called 20 years too soon the superstar billy graham story and it's all about how he was basically like you know a guy from from the hulkamania hulkamania area that just happened to be wrestling back in the you know late 60s and 70s and stuff so yeah 20 years too soon the superstar billy graham story really great documentary if you guys want to check it out on uh peacock that's kind of like my the extent of my Billy Graham experience. All right. Sam Rosenthal says you were at the AEW inaugural press conferences back in 2019. Your question to anyone on the stage, how would you feel or would you believe us if we told you Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal got back-to-back pay-per-views with tag title shots in 2023? Yeah. I don't know why this is what we're doing, man. Like I I'm a, I'm a fan of Jeff Jarrett, dude. Like I like him having some spots, but I don't know why he's getting such high profile matches on back to back pay per views in 2023. How about you, Jordan? Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. I thought it was cool at first. Just, I mean, it's fun seeing the old guys come back, but uh, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I'm with you. It's fun, right? It's cool for an episode of Dynamite or even a, a one off on a pay per view. But dude, there's so much talent, especially even just in the tag team division. There's so much tag team talent in AEW. Why is Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett getting back-to-back tag title shots. I, if I had an answer for that, dude, I that that the tag division is one of the things that I feel AEW is is not doing the greatest job with. Um, but FTR being champions, I'm fine with. Obviously, I think they've done some good things. But I, I'm getting back on the AEW train, man. I, I feel like they're doing some good things and they're moving in the right direction again. Yeah, it's it's been better than it was maybe maybe four or five months or so ago. I'll, I'll give you that for sure, dude. I'm still sticking with NXT, man. May 2000, you know, it's again, it's May uh, 2023. Whatever you guys may, may be listening to this, NXT has been awesome, dude. From the the star power is not the greatest, and the in ring quality kind of ebbs and flows. But as far as like consistently book storylines, I feel like NXT has been the best out of all the brands in wrestling over the last few months. Um, Sam Rose hit us with one last question. I think we already answered. He just talked about, uh, you know, why aren't custom sets a thing anymore? Yeah. We talked about that throughout the show. And then we talked about a little bit there with, uh, with Zach a while back. So thank you guys for all the listener questions, man. You guys really motivate us. We love seeing all the positive feedback from the pod warriors episodes. Again, if this is your first time tuning into a pod warriors show, it's very easy to find us there. Every single pod warriors episode going back to, um, March of, 2022 has pod warriors right at the start. So it's going to be very easy for you to find and get caught up. And all of them are pretty much um, evergreen content. So it's not stuff that's, you know, time specific. You can listen to it, whatever. It's going to be good to go. want to remind you guys, use code chick Foley to save 10% at ringside collectibles. Uh, Jordan, you want to hit us with some closing thoughts before we put a wrap on this one? Yeah. Um, again, thanks for all the support you guys. We wouldn't be doing this without you. Um, I know it's been a while since we've done a pod Warriors. me and Seth have already talked about getting better at this and um, recording at least once a month. So 
we're gonna we're gonna pump out some content for you guys for pod warriors and uh yeah man just keep supporting us and uh we love you guys and have a good week Just say no.